Hello and welcome to another episode of Castadon's The Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sherry. And we're back to Redwall. Um, if you remember, we really cliffhangered um, the last one. Matthias has been found, but he's barely alive. The Sparrow King is dead. He had had a great fall. He had been injured by the the Sparrow King, and he had ended up in the Abbey Pond. And if you also remember, Methuselah had been... Um, killed by a swung bag by Chicken Hound the Fox, who stole a bunch of trinkets from the Abbey, run away, hidden under a tree, and put his hand out on what it was definitely the snake. And the, um... The rats have a... starting another... And the Martin the Warrior part of the, uh... Wallhang tapestry uh, has been almost completely reattached. Just had a little few finishing touches to do. Um, but Methuselah had been doing that when Chicken Hound came through and ended up killing him. And Clooney's getting his horde together for another attack. So, on to chapter 21. Matthias is still unconscious in the infirmary, and he's having a fever dream. Multiple dreams. Fever dreams! Um, He was wandering through dark caverns. And his name is being called Matthias Matthias. And it sounded vaguely familiar, but he had other things to do. (coughs) Identify the voice. He must find the sword. Uh, he saw a late rose in his uh, uh, dream and it was bathed in pale blue light in the Stygian gloom how many kids do you think know that word? I don't even know that word well it'd be very dark, very gloomy um Referring to, like, the River Styx in the Land of the Dead in Greek uh, mythology. So very dark. All right. So he sees the rose in the darkness, and it's being based in a pale blue light. And he sees all the thorns on the rose stem look like tiny swords. And he thought he should talk to the rose... Please tell me, late Rose, where will I find the sword? And the topmost rose quivered. He watched it blossom before his eyes. In the center of the blossoming petals was the face of Methuselah. Martin, my friend, I can help you no more. Seek out the aid of Martin. I mean, Matthias, my friend. I'm sorry. Matthias, (laughs) my friend, I can help you no more. Seek out the aid of Martin. I must go now. That was probably Methuselah's way of saying he had passed. I think so, too, because then his face faded. And Matthias is traveling a long corridor with his feet hardly touching the floor. And at the end, he sees two figures. And he wasn't able to tell who the first one was, but he could feel a friendly kinship emanating from it. 
Um, so the second figure didn't have arms or legs, and it opened its mouth, and it had two sharp fangs and a hissing sound, hissing sound and a flickering tongue that quivered and turned into a sword. And Matthias runs toward it with a cry of joy. But and the first figure stopped him. And that's when he realized that it was Martin the Warrior who was the first figure, which come, come is not really a surprise at this point. And Math- Matthias says, well, Why are you stopping me from getting the sword, Martin? And Martin says, Matthias, I am the is. Stay. Beware of Asmodeus. And Matthias is trying to get loose and says, Let him go. He's not afraid of any creature that lives. And then he feels pain in his shoulder very bad, like a red-hot lance. And Martin cries out, Hold him still, hold him still. And Matthias opens his eyes and realizes it's not really Martin, it's the abbot pulling the half of a sparrow beak embedded from his shoulder. Ouch. That would even hurt us. (laughs) Yeah. That would have to be quite a fever dream for him to see a snake and be like, well, it's got no arms or legs, it's a figure. Yeah. But he has come to, and so it's, ouch, that hurt father, Matthias said weakly. So he he knew where he was again and who he was with. Um, Cornflower is there, and so is Brother Alf. And he sees Basil in the next bed over where he's, as you know, um... He has a leg injury that isn't really that bad, but he's really having it on about it, and... He's he's milking it because the food in the infirmary is plentiful and So, delicious. in other words, the opposite of actual hospital food. Well... Depending I, on where you are... Yeah, and ha- I've, I've worked in a hospital. I have been a patient in hospitals a dozen times or so. And I will say it varies... Uh, it's a big difference between being a patient and getting what shows up on a tray that you may or may not have ordered and like eating in the hospital like cafeteria or something where you get your own choices you and it it's better but redwall's food is almost always amazing yeah but for basil it's I think more plentiful because he's trying to heal and build up his strength again because he's a wounded warrior and uh, he plays that up well until yeah we'll get to that part in a bit So, yeah, Matthias asks what Basil is doing the next bed over, and this whole thing that we just described is explained to him that, you know, he got the tapestry back, so they're kind of humoring his... Right. Yeah. At this point, he, he, when he wakes up, he doesn't know about the tapestry, he doesn't know about Methuselah, you know, he he's being caught up in the... What had happened in the last day? Yeah, it's pretty sad because he's like, I bet old Methuselah is over the moon to have it back once more. Yeah. 
And, yeah, the abbot has the other mice leave so he can tell Matthias alone. Yeah. And this causes Matthias great sadness, and he... He pretty much wants to just lie in his bed and zone out. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Basil Steghair that got him out of this funk and said that... Methuselah would want him to stop moping and be the warrior that he is. And he, he called, or Basil, of course, called for food, um, which uh, Cornflower arrived with Friar, Friar Hugo, and Friar offered him two bowls of gruel. Because Friar knows what's going on and that Basil's having it on, and. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, Basil went on to say, well, he wanted a half dozen boiled eggs, some crisp summer salad, two loaves of hot bread, two hazelnut cream junkets, which is like a pudding. Junket is like what they use for making jellos or something like that. Um, Four oven-baked apple pies and some medium-sized minced tarts. Quince tarts. Quince tarts, excuse me, quince tarts. Um... Well, either way, they'd be good. Um, yeah. And Friar Hugo is like, you forgot the October nut brown ale, sir. And then he's like, yeah, I just want four flagons. <laughs> and... He, they get all of this food. And so when they're uh, eating, Matthias asks Basil, what's a viper? And you know, Basil explains it's an old poison teeth snake, an adder, n- never had m- much to do with the slimy fellers himself. You bet best to stay away from them, and I... As a herper, I'm kind of going like, part of this information is true? Venomous, not poisonous. And they're not slimy. I'm not recommending you touch one, but they are not. No snakes are slimy unless they crawl through something with slime. (laughs) Their body does not make slime. Though they do emit... Musk. Musk. Or they may go to the bathroom, which may be one of the grossest things ever, having dealt with that. From um, not an adder. Uh. Yeah, well, yeah, not from an adder, uh, but from regular regular old snakes that we've dealt with. Um, and again, I don't feel like nitpicking the venomous poisonous thing every time it turns up in one of these books. But it turns up everywhere. Everywhere. Venomous as if it bites you. Poisonous as if you bite it. And it's more of an English language distinction. In some languages, there's not a difference. Well, poison could be like, okay, like a mushroom can be poisonous. A mushroom or a toad. Um, Venomous is a snake biting you, a bee stinging you. And in the case of the red-necked keelback snake, both. It emits poison from its neck to deter predators, and it's got a um, 
somewhat venomous bite, not on the same level with an adder, but... Yeah. So, anyway, Basil correctly says Matthias is best staying away from them. And Matthias asks Basil if there are any adders in the moss flower region, and he'd be the very one to know if there were any, being an expert and all that, so he's stoking Basil's pride to get as much information as he can. Yeah. And Basil says he'd heard talk of one a long time back, but he didn't think it's a that he's around anymore. And oh, they're filthy reptiles, they're nothing like stags. And he, he asks about um Asmodeus and uh they wanted to know how how did you hear about Asmodeus? And uh Matthias literally says a little bird told me. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, of course the sparrows and, you know, what would those old sparrows know about Asmodeus? And Mar- Mar- Matthias explained that it had to do with Martin's sword. And tells about how, you know, one of the kings had taken the sword and that the adder had taken the sword from him. Not well, the same no, king, though. But actually, the sword was taken... Many years before. Uh, yeah, it was Bloodfeather who took it. And, but the present king, who had just died, uh, King Bullspera, had lost the sword, and uh, Asmodeus ended up with it. So, that's the connection between the sword and Asmodeus. And Basil is like, play with fire, you'll get burned. But he doesn't know... Matthias, when he says he has to find the sword, uh, Basil says he doesn't know anything more, and he thought the snake had died years ago. And so this didn't help Matthias, but Basil says he does have a good idea who would know. (coughs) And if he goes northeast across Mossfire Wood, he will find a deserted farmhouse beyond the far edge of it and there's a snowy owl that lives there <coughs> the owl's name is Captain Snow sorry I'm affected by dust allergies um. anyhow uh, yes the, the owl's name is Captain Snow and uh, he will eat Matthias on site if he gets the chance but he says that he actually saved Captain Snow's life once when um, a, a tree uh, fell on Captain Snow and um, so anyhow um, Captain Snow he awarded him a medal for saving his life you know, awarded Basil the medal for saving his life and Basil went and got this medal from his uh, dress, uh, military dress jacket thing that was covered with medals. And he uh, gave it to uh, Matthias to hold on to, but said, you know. He might have a chance if he finds 
Captain Snow in the daytime when he's not hunting and he's in his you know, tree sleeping and if he shows the metal but maybe that won't help him maybe he'll get eaten anyway in my opinion just going by nature as I know it mm-hmm. the hole is a much more dangerous threat than the snake and yeah um but yeah Cap- uh, Captain Snow Sarah and I have both worked with owls you know large owls and they are very food fixated and anything that remotely looks like it could be a fuzzy rodent of some kind oh my sister had a scarf with little colorful poofs all along it and the owls were fixated on that scarf and I don't know what they would have done if the enclosure had been opened with that around I will say Redwall is more accurate with owls than a lot of media is because it correctly portrays owls as not too bright and always hungry. Yeah. The owls that we were worked around, um, they ate several mice in one setting. Now these mice were not alive, but... No, yeah, they weren't alive, but they would eat several mice in one sitting. And, uh, these were, uh, Eurasian eagle owls. Uh, so they were. That's the kind of owls. owl Draco Malfoy had in Harry mm. Potter. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I think owls big, not so smart, hungry. Yeah. Now, in some ways, Redwall kind of ble- kind of bends owl biology um, later in the books. He'll find several owls that eat um, various non meat foods, which would not happen in real life. Now, I've had the pleasure of seeing more than one snowy owl in the last couple of years. Uh, One over near the airport in Philly, and one in Penn Dutch country on top of the roof of an Amish house. Yeah, I saw that one, too, on the roof. Right. So, yeah, Basil has given him this advice that is going to be dangerous, potentially as dangerous as meeting the snake. But the Saul Matthias has to go on, so he's going to have to do it. You know, Matthias wakes up after falling asleep, and it's a bit after 12 o'clock in the afternoon, so not midnight, afternoon 12 o'clock. Basil was on his back snoring. Um, uh, Matthias' his shoulder still hurts, but he's basically all right now, and he's going to sneak out and try not to be seen by anybody, so he doesn't have to explain himself or have anyone stop him. He gets his clothes, his shoes. He takes the food that's left from the table because apparently somehow Basil did not eat it all his knife which they had put in his bedside locker oh they returned it to him they he had dropped that knife when he had gone up to uh the roof but uh it had been found on the floor and you know returned to 
and he can hear at the door the abbot and brother elf and they're talking about how they're both asleep in there and they're not likely to wake up for a while so yeah brother elf had just peeked in on them like 10 minutes before and said that they'll they'll not wake till evening so nobody had to worry about them or so they thought and Matthias sneaks out through the side door in the wall, and he's out in the woods. He still isn't feeling great, but he's... And it's the same side do- door that the fox had taken. Yeah, well, it Just means he's in the a... right direction for the snake. Yeah. Um, and that's the end of this chapter. Chapter 22 starts, and I'll say the illustration is a really grumpy-looking shrew with a headband. So, yeah, that's a little indication of what's to come. Yeah, sorry for a little bit of spoiler there. But, uh, anyhow, Matthias stops for a light snack after making steady progress through the woods. And he was heading uh, in the direction that... uh, he had been told he might find, you know, the, the snowy owl, and, uh, so. And out of nowhere, uh, he's all just walking along in the sun and shade and birdsong, he's pretty relaxed. A strange mouse jumps out, or he thinks it's a mouse, and it has spiky fur that sticks out at odd angles. It's short in stature, and has a bright scarf tied above its brow. And it was really an attitude grumpy type strange mouse as well. And Matthias says, you know, beautiful afternoon, hello there. And the strange mouse, the who are you and why are you trespassing on Shrewland? So Matthias is like, ah, if he thinks to himself, so this is a shrew. He's somehow not met one yet. (laughs) And Matthias decides to answer in as gruff a tone as the shrew had asked. And he said, never mind who I am. Who do you think you are, you little raghead? And the the shrew, which actually was a female shrew, um, says in her low, gruff voice, I am Gaussim, and you still haven't told me what you were wanting shrew territory. And Matthias says, like, Gaussim, what sort of name is that? And you didn't put up any signs saying it couldn't be here. It's moss flower. We can all go where we want. And Gaussim stands for Gorilla Union of Shrews in Moss Flower. Um, and Messiah said he could care less. Yeah, make way for a Redwall Abbey warrior. I'm coming through. And Gaussim put her paw to her lips and made a, wh- a sharp whistle. And about uh, 50 other shrews pop out and... Surround Matthias, so he's not going anywhere. And they've all got those headbands, and they have a short rapier-like swords. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's an extremely thin sword. Um, like a letter opener. <laughs> I mean, really thin. Um, oh, like a... It's what you think of, like, people fencing with, except oh, okay. it's got a real point on it. All right. And it's something that, if you were fighting, you were stab somebody rather than slice with the edge. Right. And that's what the shrews typically have throughout this 
so anyhow he's surrounded by these shrews and um they call each other comrades i'll give a little bit of background here brian jakes ori- said that he originally based the shrews off of dock worker unions so i think that's how the um which brian jakes used to be he had many many jobs besides being a great writer and yes he worked on the docks he's been a lorry driver and quite a few other things lorry that's a uh, truck to uh, americans and so uh, like what are we Tell this mass what we do to trespassers, and they're coming up with various torture suggestions. Uh, chop off his nose, skin him alive. Hang him by the tail. Stuff his whiskers down his ears. Whoa. <laughs> and then a really stern-looking old shrew pushes Galsim out of the way, and he takes up a round black pebble and holds it up. And he says, any comrade who wants to speak must hold the pebble, or otherwise shut up. And they all go silent, and he gives the pebble to Matthias for Matthias to explain himself. And once again, I'm going to say the the black stone is a thing that the shrews use again and again through the series. This is just the first time it shows up. And it's basically saying that you have the chair, it's your turn to speak. There's actually one of the later books, a shrew loses it, and they go on a big dangerous journey just to get their specific black stone back not just any black stone to use it has to be that one that black stone okay and so there's a bit of dissent that a mouse has been given the stone and the old shrew is like he's holding it shut up so Matthias clears his throat er ahem Gorilla Union of Shrews in Mossflower, forgive me. As you see, I am a stranger in these parts. I do not intentionally trespass on your land. Had I known, I would have taken a different route. You have probably noticed by my habit that I come from Redwall Abbey. Though I am a warrior, we are a healing and helping order. It is unusual. It is usual for all creatures to allow Redwall mi- a Redwall mouse to pass in peace. This is the unwritten law. And the older shrew, whose name is Logalog, took the pebble from Matthias and addressed the others. Right, comrades, now we know a bit more about things. Let's have a show of paws. All those in favor of letting the mouse go free. And the shrews, um, the shrews vote on this, and it's about a 50-50. Yeah, um, and that leaves... Um, Logalog to make the deciding vote. That's right. And Logalog says that you know we take we shrews take care of our own, but the red bull mice are a legend in Mossflower. They don't harm any creature. They do a lot of good, and he votes that Matthias goes free. And then Galsim. I don't know why she specifically gets named Galsim when all the shrew are Galsim, but. Galsim grabs the stone from Logalog and waves it about. Maybe it's a title that comes with being president of the Union. 
Yes, because she says that she is the president of the union and that Logalog is a wise elder and the mouse hasn't told us where he is going. Yeah, it's kind of uh, confused me a bit because normally Logalog in the entire rest of the series is the title of their leader. Right. But maybe being president isn't fully the leader, just like president doesn't do everything in this country. It's not, you know, it's up to others and a, and a chain of command and... Another shrew <laughs> grabs the rock from Cow Sam and says, that's right, where are you off to, Mouse? And then gives the rock to Matthias. They have no problem just grabbing the rock away from each other. And he says, my name is not Mouse, it's Matthias, and Redwall Abbey is in danger from Clooney and this horde. And immediately the shrews start shouting and swearing and... And so, obviously, they, they know they who he is. And... Matthias says he has to get the sword from Martin the warrior, and to find the sword, he has to ask Captain Snow the whereabouts of Asmodeus, and immediately the shrews just dive into the bushes and leave Matthias alone. So they... Just the mention of Captain Snow and Asmodeus is enough. So, yes, basically three creatures that would frighten most any small woodland animal uh, are brought up and yeah and Logalog says you're going to ask the captain where you can find the giant poison teeth you're either very brave or raving mad and he responds a little of both I suppose and do you know much about Captain Snow and Asmodeus? And Gaussim, both shrews are shaking. And Gaussim says, you know, Matthias, you must be crazy. Do you know what you're walking into? And Captain Snow would eat you. And Giant Ice Eyes, the other one, eats as many shrews as he wants. So I guess that is what they call Asmodeus. Yeah. And that no living creature can stop the poison teeth. And the other shrews put up a heart-rending moan. And Matthias holds up the rock again and says, I'm not asking you to do my fighting, I'm just asking you to point me in the right direction for Captain Snow. And if I get the sword, I may be able to help you. Anything saying, liberate you. So, anyhow, Logalog took the stone. Matthias of Redwall, you are on our land. We will escort you. The gorilla... Union of Shrews and Mossflower would never live down the shame of having a stranger fight their battles for them. You may not always see us, but we will be close by. Come now. And so they head off northeastward with the Shrews, and the number of Shrews went from 50 to uh, 400. 400 during their trek. And, um, and when they stopped to to eat and then sleep, Matthias slept inside of a hollow log with both ends disguised to make it look like it wasn't hollow. And I believe the disguise are shrews. Uh, they are masters of camouflage and their very survival depended on it. So, anyhow... Do you think a shrew at either end? Because I, I thought they just put stuff on the ends. But I, I think it might have been a shrew, but a shrew disguised with you know... 
wood matter, plant matter, whatever to... Uh, half an hour before dawn, Matthias is woken up by a shrew who gives him an acorn cup full of sweet berry juice and rough and a loaf of rough nut bread and tasty fresh roots that he can't identify. So he's gotten a nice breakfast, but he's also been woken up at the crack of nope. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's before dawn, half an hour before dawn, and he can see the edge of, um, they keep walking until, like, mid-morning, and he can see the edge of Mossflower Wood, and the trees have thinned out, and there's a meadow with long grass with buttercup and sorrel. And in the distance, he could see the abandoned farmhouse that Basil had spoken of, and as the sh- all the shrews had disappeared with the exception of Gausum and Logalog, and the latter pointed to the barn adjoining the farmhouse. You might find Captain Snow in there taking a nap. Now is the best time to approach him after he has a full stomach from his night hunt. No, he's... And the two gorilla shrews melted back into the woods. So he carefully zigzags and crouches and wriggles across the field in the same way that Basil had, had taught, taught him, him so that he might not be noticed by the owl. Um, he he tiptoes um, into uh, a barn the where barn. he still doesn't see the owl. It's semi-dark. There's old farming implements rusted. There's musty dry hay bales. And he knows he's going to have to climb the hay bales if he wants to find the owl. So he's climbing the sh- the straw. And he's figuring that uh, Captain Snow would be sl- perched up in the rafters, probably sleeping. And he scales the packed straw. He stood on top and looked around. Nothing. And he ventures forward. And suddenly he slips and he fell between a huge gap or hidden gap between the bales and, and he scrambled and he was clutching and he he plunged down to the floor but he never touched the, he l- he never touched the floor he landed right into the open gaping mouth of a huge marmalade cat so that's a cliffhanger of cliffhangers yeah. there so and that is the end of that chapter and we're left with a cliffhanger with Matthias in the mouth of a marmalade cat. Now, there's a couple of things I'll uh, talk about a bit. One is the description of shrews as having like, short, spiky fur. I have seen quite a few shrews. All of their fur was like very soft, velvety, like a mole. Um, I've never handled a live one. I they actually but... put something in their fur to spike Yeah, like, like uh, hair like gel. My nephew. <laughs> my nephew used to have really spiky like hair. Maybe they have like a grease or a plant juice ago. they're using on yeah. themselves. and Or even mud. Who knows? Despite how they're portrayed in Redwall as... Um, in Redwall they're portrayed the typical they're vegetarian except for fish and shellfish and um, f- friendly enough toward other woodlanders in general. Real shrews eat anything they can fight and catch. They eat mice. They could eat another shrew. Um, I don't know to what degree that would happen, but 
They eat mice, they eat frogs, they eat a lot of insects. Don't they have to eat a lot? They have to eat every three hours or they will literally starve to death because their metabolism is insanely fast and their heartbeats going crazy speed. They have to eat constantly. They're not totally carnivores. They eat some seeds and um, they like peanut butter. Like, if you're trying to capture a shrew to take it outside, like, peanut butter is a good bait for your live trap, but you have to check that live trap often or the shrew's going to starve in there. They or put, like, quite a bit of peanut butter in there so it'll have something to eat while you go to get it. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think we've ever had a shrew in our house. Oh, back yeah. when we lived in Massachusetts, there was one in the basement. We never caught it. But oh, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, we're on to chapter 23, which is the final chapter in book two of Redwall. And there's a kind of disturbing illustration there. I don't know what is supposed to be going It looks like a rock went, like, in the ear and out the other ear, and I don't know what it's supposed to be. It's like there's nothing in between the ears. And I think it's a rock. I don't know. I thought it was a broken... Uh, well, yeah, actually... And there's a broken spear, too. Yeah, I see a broken spear. Well, we Con- will get to that. Constance is on the parapet watching the road. And yeah, we're back at Redwall Abbey again. They've missed Matthias, and Basil is already out of bed, and he's still limping, but yeah, he doesn't need to be in bed. And and they talked about uh, forming a search party to go and look for Matthias. But at the same time, they saw Clooney's army was coming to Redwall. And, and the fox's warning was true. That's sort right. Sort of. Well, yeah. Anyhow, yeah, but... Um, Clooney's army, Clooney had two different plans. One is, you know, battling at the front gate with a battering ram, but he also had the plan of tunneling under the abbey wall while he figured all of the Redwall Abbey occupants would be busy protecting above ground and not thinking about below ground. But, uh, you know, so Clooney approaches the gate and says, calls for surrender to Clooney the Scourge. Constance tells him to go and boil his head. Uh, <laughs> Clooney dips his uh, standard low, and he doesn't have the tapestry attached to it anymore. That's and the basil. two scores of sling rats run yes. forward and. Um, fling rocks at the ramparts that didn't actually hit anybody because the sun was in his army's eyes. Yeah, so he hadn't planned that right as far as with how the sun was and uh, that was to Redwall's advantage. And the otters fling rocks back from their slings and because the sun wasn't in their eyes they hit quite a few rats. Um, One of them actually hit Clooney, but it was on the helmet. 
And anyhow, um, Clooney ordered the rats to retreat to the the ditch and to the meadow, and four rats were left dead near the the wall. And uh, Capone has had abandoned his drum, which was actually, you know, a a, a big barrel. Um, and so that was left near the abbey when they retreated to the the ditch in the meadow. And once again, there's the typo where um, Kilconi is a girl for a. Well, Brian Jakes said that Kilconi was intended as a male and it is a printing error yeah. that happens twice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Clooney um, has cheesed the four of the gangs with the battering ram and they're, they're coming up. She's the... She's uh, the thumbs off to get them. I think he wanted to get out of Clooney's way. Well, Clooney wanted to know where they were, and so, yeah. Also, you know, Cheese Thief wanted to be in good graces with Clooney, because... Because you want to be in good graces. Yeah. <laughs> and the Harvest Mouse archers are... Um, they get out their bows with little, as you know, not actually particularly harmful arrows. Yeah, small pointed shafts. And the field mice have um, stouter arrows. And the otter slingers, they're all uh, causing various injuries and discomfort to the rats, and morale is low. And Clooney had ordered them not to retaliate until after midday, I assume because of the sun. Yeah, definitely because of the sun. Now, meanwhile, Jess Squirrel rappelled swiftly down to the road on a rope and looping the ropes in through the old water butt, meaning the drum that was being, had been used. Um, and and uh, has Constance haul it up, so they took the ferret's drum for their purposes. Uh. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that later. Um, but... And with with this going on, Basil has ditched his leg bandage and forgotten about I- having any kind of quote unquote injury. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. Yeah. And Clooney is brooding in his tent in the meadow. Anyhow, hoping to find favor with Clooney. Uh. Um, cheese thief had put himself at the head of the battering ram party, helping them to carry the cumbersome object, you know, towards the abbey. And you know, he cried out, "Come on, mates, let's knock on the abbey door." And having he negotiated the ditch, and then they charged across the road. And once they got close enough to the abbey walls, it was difficult for the defenders of the wall to fire on them because they'd have to actually 
make their bodies more visible to like basically lean over and you know attack them and Cooney was uh, pleased to see that things were going right for a change and that Cheese Thief actually had more to him than he had first thought. And the door was rammed a first time, a second time, a third time. Now creatures on the wall stood in a full view as they retaliated by firing down on the ram carriers and Clooney called for his best slingers and archers and ordered them to pick off the defenders and fortunately for him but not for the abbey the sun was starting to move southwards and the otters and mice in the ramparts were clearly visible and his archers caused numerous casualties among the red wallers um, and forced the defenders to drop down below the parapet and the battering ram continued battering uh, fortunately it made had made so far made no lasting impression on the solid construction of the the abbey door anyhow missiles from the wall had slackened off Clooney um, felt that they could desert the ditch or Clooney's army felt that they could desert the ditch in relative safety of the meadow and Clooney seemed satisfied you know with how things were going for the moment and he called Kilconi to his side and to get his the weasels and the stoats and the ferrets to get the tunnel going from um, the ditch to the southeast corner of the abbey wall and when it's dark he'll give the signal to start tunneling through the ditch wall and then across the road so really under the road yeah and then under the abbey wall that's quite a long tunnel Ugh. yeah but they were supposed to get themselves in position and then wait so for them the battling was over for the time being um, um, the ram keeps hitting the gates, which are still holding together. But Constance still, you know, thinks something should be done about the battering ram before it becomes a problem. And uh, Ambrose Spike had reported some minor splintering at the top inside edges of the door. But they have it shored up with dirt, so it's still holding okay. And... Four mole and the other moles are monitoring the inside of the abbey crowns because they know about the tunnel. Yeah, four mole had assured them that any attempted tunneling would take at least a few days um, before signs showed. Anyhow, meanwhile, yeah, he and his moles were monitoring it. Now the battle, you know, went on all day. And they, they're getting creatures wounded that are having to be treated in Great Hall. And Cornflower and her helpers were helping with food and drink for those up on the parapets and, you know, the wall. 
and Mrs. Church Mouse and Mrs. Vole are making bandages from old clean sheets, and Silent Sam, Tim, and Tess are playing with the bandages. Silent Sam was basically, I think, meant to be in charge of Tim and Tess. But How much older is he than them? I don't know. I don't know. think much. But, you know, yeah, he wants, after Tim and Tess have uh, fallen asleep, Silent Sam wants to go to the wall, but his parents had forbidden it. So yeah. he gets out of Great Hall and he passes the time by listening with his ear to the ground, you know, acting like he's a mole. Mm-hmm. But he got bored with that and he starts sticking at the ground with his tiny knife and imagining that there's rats popping out. He get bored with that and... Wandered over to the foot of the wall and shared some food with his mom and um, signaled to his mom, Jess Squirrel, to ask her what the barrel was for. And she took um, her son on her knee and explained that she had an idea for the barrel, filling it with something or other, and that it could be dropped down on the ram carriers. And she just wasn't sure what would be best to fill the barrel with. And Sam jumped down from his mother's knee, and the barrel was lying on its side. He sprang up on it, knocked it about, rolling it very scarefully under his feet. That's cool. He's log rolling it. And he's still sucking. He basically was trying to think of how he could help. So. And the the. The weasels and ferrets and stoats that are waiting to tunnel are all just kind of lounging around in a ditch waiting. And they're like, this is better than getting shot at with the, the rats. And, and then Scumnose come, came creeping along in the darkness and he nudges the ferret. Clooney says, you can begin tunneling now. And Kilconey marks a cross on the ditch wall with, um, once again it says, her claw. Her claw. And... Is this where... Right, you are. We'll start about here, buckos. Come on, now dig for victory. And this is the end of book two, part two. Um, and... Uh, Redwall. Yeah, we'll be going on to book three, The Warrior, which is 15 chapters, so I'd say an, an episode for every five again. And we are... Even though it's Redwall, you know, this edition of Redwall is divided into, you know, three books. We are two, or three quarters of the way through uh, in, in content. We're three quarters of the way through Redwall. So All of the Redwall books, except for the little picture books that are for the younger readers, are divided into three parts like that. Now, I think after this one, Brian and Jake starts counting the chapters normally so that it doesn't restart at chapter one when you get to part two. And yeah, I've been taking notes as I've been it reading. It makes things more complicated. And, and yeah, I actually got confused and thought I'd taken notes on a section, and it turned out I'd taken notes on a section of a different book within the Redwall book. So that was a little confusing for me, but anyhow... Um, it's been exciting. We're left with cliffhangers of, uh, Matthias in the cat's mouth. Um, yeah. The 
tunnelers have just begun tunneling. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen next, but we've enjoyed uh, talking about it with you, and... Uh, there was one more thing I had intended to mention back at that chapter with the cat. Yeah. So, you think this is a farm that people had abandoned? Or? I do. Because I got the impression, yes, with the size scale and the old farm tools and the hay, that this had been intended as a people farm, and then in the next book, when Brian Jake's I guess decided he didn't want people in this world. He try, kind of tried to change it and make it so it belonged to the cat's family. I think the church further back where Clooney had taken up residence, you know, when he brought his horde closer to Redwall, I think that church was also a human occupied at some point uh, building as well. And then Brian rewrote it to make it be built by this one um, female mouse while her lazy husband didn't help at all. Yeah, I, I just have my doubts on that one. But, I think uh, a lot of these structures, except for maybe the ab- except for the abbey itself, were originally meant as people structures, and then Brian Jakes decided no people, and then tried to change some of it to make it fit better. So... Yeah, it's... So, uh... 15 more to go. We will be getting back with you real soon to continue on with the uh, the saga of Redwall by Brian Jakes. And, uh... I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Thank you for listening to Cast Ends of the Fire podcast. Please follow us, review, message our Facebook, join our group, Cast Ends of the Fire podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback from you or um, any suggestions about content that you'd like us to cover, anything like that. And we're also involved in a Facebook group called Redwall with three exclamation points afterwards. And if you love Redwall, you'll really enjoy that group. It's one of the most active Redwall sites there is right now. So, uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast.